Hi, I'm Laura Morris. And I'm Ari Deckard. And welcome to the Kitty Cast. This is going to be our first episode, and uh, we started this so that Ari could have a chance to kind of tell stories from his life and talk about his experiences having Alport syndrome and his three kidney transplants and all the other health and medical related issues <laughs> that have happened to him <laughs> over the course of his life. So I think we're going to get started. And my first question for you, Ari, is give me your typical overview, the kind of statement that you would give about your health, the way you lay it out for people the very first time when you talk about this stuff. <laughs> okay. There's uh, there's several ways that I do that because I, I often talk to my students about this stuff and sometimes I have five minutes and sometimes I have 15 and sometimes I meet people and I have to give sort of an elevator pitch of my disease. The elevator pitch is, is very short, obviously, uh, because I basically, I have a very rare genetic disorder called Alport syndrome. I've seen different stats on how rare it is. Sometimes it's like one in a hundred thousand, one in 500,000. And sometimes it's like, well, one in 50,000. I can tell you that, you know, I go to Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, which is a very large, extremely busy, uh, high-end hospital in terms of the kinds of cases it sees. And my doctor, who is a professor at Columbia, um, I'm the first patient he's had with Alport syndrome. So I'm already off track on the elevator pitch. <laughs> um, but <laughs> basically, I have this disease. It causes uh, in males, although there's, I think, more information about different kinds now. But when I was in high school and college, what we knew was that in boys, it generally causes hearing loss at around year eight or nine. It causes vision loss at around uh, 13 to 14. And it generally causes kidney failure um, between 18 and 20. And I followed that pattern pretty exactly. So, Actually, I'm going to interrupt here right now with a little bit of a Wikipedia elaboration on what you're talking about, okay. which is that Alport syndrome is caused by mutations in the um, collagen 4 alpha 3 gene, the collagen 4 alpha 4 gene, and the right. collagen 4 alpha 5 genes, three of the six human genes involved in basement membrane type 4 collagen biosynthesis. Yes, I am a mutant. Yes. So yeah, sometimes I mention collagen 4 because that's a thing I also read on Wikipedia at some <laughs> point. The other part of sort of the elevator pitch or the thing that I talk about with my students is, you know, I, I was sick as a kid. I got sicker when I was in middle school and much sicker in high school. I graduated from high school a year late because I was so sick and missed all those classes. Um, I had my first transplant when I was 19 and um, then I went to college and then that transplant failed about two and a half years later. So I dropped out of college, obviously. I went on dialysis for about four and a half years. Had my second transplant. Went to college or went back to college, a different school this time. That then failed about three years later. Dropped out of school. Went back on dialysis for several more years, three or four more years. And then had my third transplant. And that was in... Uh, 2009. Then I went back to college, finished, went to grad school, uh, you know, got married and uh, started working um, full time, sort of finally. 
in my uh, mid to late 30s. That's the really, really short version. The part that I tell my students usually has a little bit more about you can push through boundaries and persevere because that's part of why I would tell my students about that. But yeah, that's the short version of the story that we're going to be telling over a lot of episodes, I think, here. Right. And so I should say that our goal with this podcast is having given you now that very, very brief elevator pitch overview of Ari's condition, we'll pretty much go through episode by episode autobiographically and talk about kind of Ari's childhood with Alport syndrome and how that developed, each of Ari's transplants, other things that happened along the way, and go into detail. Many podcasts, I think, go on and on and on. There's hundreds of episodes, depending on the topic. They kind of have an unlimited supply of things to talk about. Right. It could very well be that this is a, and what we're both anticipating, is that it will be a limited run kind of thing. We will get to the end. We will be done talking about your disease. But I want to make sure that we clarify, you know, I just quoted Wikipedia about your condition. This is not a medical scientific podcast. We Neither one of us is doctors. Uh, You are a music teacher. I work on um, AV production, writing, and social media for a online publication. So we are not qualified to give medical advice. This is more biographical and so there probably is a lot of medical information contained within the stories you're going to tell sure but memory is imperfect by a lot yeah (laughs) so i think that we'll probably tell these stories go through it and then when we get to the end date we will just end so the purpose of this initial podcast is to kind of give people the flavor of what we're going to do give people a brief idea about how it's going to be and then we will launch into probably in the next episode actually getting into your biography yeah okay so I, I realized when you're talking, I think I know the answer to this question. Okay. But I am not 100% sure. Sure. Have you ever met a person outside of your own family with Alport syndrome? No. Uh, and then I was about to say maybe. Basically, not that I know of. I, I have this vague memory of one time I went to the dentist. I was like 17 and like... Not my actual dentist, but another person was in there, and um, there's a few physical hallmarks of Alport syndrome. Um, like I said, we lose our hearing or some of our hearing um, around when we're eight. Also, because uh, this is sort of a a more common thing, just in people who have been less healthy as children, we tend to not be as tall as your average person or as uh, big. We tend to be slighter of build because when you're sick and your body is focusing its resources on fighting that illness or just dealing with itself instead of on growing to be robust. So, you know, many, many men are basically the same size and height as their fathers. And I'm almost the same height as my dad, but like I'm a little shorter, a little smaller than mm-hmm. he is. And so anyway, I, I met this guy and I, I think he was another dentist or he was there and he had seen my chart. So he wanted to come in and I have this vague memory that he had at least some kind of kidney disease that he'd had as a child. So maybe he had Alport syndrome. I don't know. But yeah, other than my family, nobody that I know of. And I don't feel like I even know secondhand. Like I said, I am, I think, the first and probably only patient that my doctor, who has seen hundreds, if not thousands, of kidney patients in his career, um, has seen. And that's my current doctor. And I think that's true of past doctors as well. So um, short answer, no. (laughs) 
And I said, not anyone not in your family. And we've talked about how Alport's is a genetic disorder. Right. Can you talk about sort of how Alport's manifests in your family? Um, what's sort of the, the, the course of the disease? One of the things we'll get into later probably is how the understanding of this disease has changed radically, not just over the course of your lifetime, but even in the time that we've been married I feel like doctors now, if we walk into an appointment room, they can see that you're here for kidney problems. They see your hearing aids and they go, Alport, which Mm -hmm. never used to be the case. And in fact, I keep saying Alport's and I feel like even the name has changed. Right. I was going to mention that. Now, now if I look it up, it says Alport syndrome, just the guy's name who discovered it instead of the disease belonging to him. Yeah. So your family's early experiences of this were much more mysterious. So if you could talk a bit about kind of and talk about the sort of (laughs) sex linked aspects of Alport's and then also how it's manifested in your family. Okay, I'll do my best. Um, let me briefly sidetrack to the name thing because I feel like that's sort of relevant okay. here. I think his name was James, but I might be wrong. You're the one who has Wikipedia up. So Dr. Alport discovered this syndrome in, like, you've got it? So yes, tell Cecil A. Alport. Oh, no, it was Cecil. That's right. University of Edinburgh Medical School, 1927. That's when he discovered it? This is, first. the disorder oh, okay. was first identified. So... That makes this, I guess, more interesting to me while we're on this digression from the actual question you asked. <laughs> uh, so Cecil, uh, Dr. Alport, discovers this syndrome and he identifies it. But to my knowledge, like this is from my personal experience and things that doctors and many medical teams have said in little bits, bits and pieces over several decades, that they didn't start to really not identify but um, study it or have a lot of data on the syndrome until like the 80s, 90s, and today, like we're a radio station, um, <laughs> when I was growing up. Um, so I'm born in 1977. And when I was born, I, everything was basically fine. I was, you know, a little jaundiced, whatever. I was also born in the tropics. So that had its own little issues with me having like diaper rash and whatever. And also, um, I think Giardia, which because I was sucking on coral, probably uh, not particularly relevant to kidney disease. So <laughs> But it adds flavor. But it literally, in my case, um, <laughs> I assume I don't know what coral tastes like anymore. Um, so Alport syndrome. When I was growing up, it was called Alport's, either with or without an apostrophe, and the apostrophe was sometimes before the S, sometimes after the S. Uh, and then in the last few years, I'm going to say probably within the last ten years, so since about 2006 it became more specifically codified to be Alport syndrome, named for Dr. Cecil Alport. And there is also now a foundation, the Alport Syndrome Foundation, that does you know, charity work and fundraising and some family support kinds of things, like trying to connect people through their disease. But part of the reason that it wasn't studied much after it was identified is because it's super rare, like nobody has it. Then relatedly, to your original question, my family history is... I think it's not mysterious, but a little bit ambiguous. My maternal grandmother, Maureen, had kidney disease. And at the time, and I hope I'm remembering this correctly, at the time, they called it Bright's disease. And I think it was Bright's disease, not Bright's syndrome, but I'm pretty sure it was Bright's disease. Uh, And mom, if you're listening, sorry if I get this wrong. So she had kidney disease, and they called it Bright's Bright's disease. But my understanding, again, is that Bright's disease is what they kind of just generically called kidney disease that you had, maybe genetic or something. Um, Don't know anything about 
her parents and their issues or not with uh, kidney failure, but her kidneys failed in the mid-50s when she was in her early 20s. And my mother was about six, and she died uh, of kidney failure, of quote-unquote Bright's disease. So then fast forward several decades, and as a young child, as a baby, when I was about two or three, I had, um, I was going to try to use the fancy medical name, I believe hematuria. I had blood in my urine, and that isn't as gross as it sounds. It just meant that um, instead of my pee being yellow, it was more brownish. Um, sometimes I, I understand sometimes that blood in the urine can look more pink, but this is not that case. I, especially as a kid, I always had darker urine, especially when I was sick. It would be much darker, and uh, I always said it looked like apple juice because I was a weirdo. So my parents noticed this, and I think it was noticed on some, you know, probably well visit or something as a, a really young, I, I hesitate to say child, like as a toddler. So they uh, they took me to the doctor, or anyway, they, they found out, and they said, oh, well, some, we should check that out. That's called hematuria. And at some point, they said, we think there's something more going on here. And so then when I was four, they did a biopsy uh, of my kidney. So they discover that the, actually, I think now I know, they so that they looked at this little slice of my kidney and they realized, oh, the collagen 4 has a problem. Um, beyond that, I couldn't say. Uh, and at some point, then they say, okay, this is called Alport's, because that's what they said all the time, Alport's, and didn't really know a lot about it or at least didn't tell me a lot about it, at least until I was about 19 or I guess 18. And my kidneys were really legitimately, honestly, no joke about it, clearly failing. And then I had all the transplants and all that stuff happened. But um, at around the time, I want to say this is true anyway, around the time that I started getting tested for the first transplant when I was 19 in 1996, they, you know, test a lot of family members for a lot of different things. And, they started noticing that my mother's kidney function was lower than normal. Not like in a bad place, but in a not awesome place. And it, so then they started watching it and it continued to decline. And let me see here. About, what, eight or nine years ago? You might remember this better than I do. Um, her kidney function had gotten bad enough and she'd actually been on dialysis for a number of years that she also had a transplant. Uh, at that point they said, oh, you also have Alport syndrome. So this brings us in a very roundabout way to the other part of the question that you asked, which is about the sex link stuff. I feel like in the last couple of years, there's been a lot more information because every once in a while I'm just like, hey, do I remember the stuff I think I know about on uh, Wikipedia or other other resource sites uh, like the National Kidney Foundation site or something like that. And I noticed that there's now multiple types of Alport syndrome and this, this kind of sex linked and that kind of sex linked. And they all have their own history. But when I was growing up and a lot of the information I had was more about boys get it, they get it when they're boys and presumably they usually would have died, but now we have transplant and dialysis technology. And so they don't. And girls don't get it 
women might, and if they do, they'll get it like in their 50s. And that's what happened, or not get it, but start to present with symptoms. And that's what happened with my mom. Her kidney function kept getting lower and lower, so she, she went on dialysis, and that was true for the last several years of her career. Uh, and then she had a transplant while she was still working, and then she retired, and she has a transplant, and she gets to be all fabulous. So in my family, I have two uncles on that side of the family, no kidney issues. They are your mother's half siblings, so they don't they don't have Maureen's true. X, X chromosome. That is that is true. I believe none of Maureen's siblings have any symptoms. I'm actually, I'm trying to remember right now. Anyway, they don't have any symptoms. Uh, Martha, write in if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, I could not tell you about Maureen's parents and kidney function. I knew her mother. I knew my great-grandmother, Kate. She passed away in the early 80s and was in her late 80s uh, when, when that happened. And I don't believe she had any sort of kidney issues at all. So that part to me is a bit of a mystery. And my understanding of how Alport syndrome is passed along would tend to indicate that she was the carrier. Uh, and that that's also, again, part of my understanding is that Women are either carriers or might have it a little bit themselves, and men tend to get it. But like I said, there's been a little bit of newer information that I had a little bit of trouble following when I looked it up. Yeah, and I think what when I first started to be with you and go to doctor's appointments, one of the narrative that I had heard was this: the mutant genes are on the X chromosome. So right, it's an X linked. Men can only get it from their mother because they will get a Y from their father, and the reason it might manifest less severely in women and girls is that girls have two X's. Sure, so the, yeah, so exactly. The, yeah. the gene might not manifest, whereas with you only get the one X from your mother. Right. Which you say that um, Kate might be the carrier, but Maureen has two X chromosomes. So Kate may be innocent. She may have gotten that mutant X gene from her dad, Maureen's dad. Right. True. She might have. Um, and I know very little about him because he was out of the picture, like in, in the family, not just uh, whether he was alive or not, uh, well before I was born. So that's true. I think his name was Max. And no, I don't, I, I don't know. I guess it could be him as well. You're right. And like I said, we're not a medical podcast and we're giving very, I don't know, maybe this, maybe that about Alport syndrome. It is confusing and sort of the different types of it. And we've been told at different times that you might have different types of it. No, 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 you don't have the X-linked version. Oh, no, I think you do have the X-linked version. Yeah, so yeah. this is sort of interesting because this is a thing in your life that has that is your thing. This is your mutant gene. And still some of the information about it is very opaque to you and a little bit behind kind of a confusing curtain and perhaps just not well-researched enough. Yes. The, what's sort of interesting is like they've identified several different kinds and all of that stuff and that's super interesting from the science end from the re end it doesn't matter i mean it matters because i'm interested and i like science i like knowing about myself and my disease to an extent <laughs> but it doesn't it's irrelevant to the treatment because it just you treat the symptoms mm -hmm. and the basics of all those are the same and um yeah, it's just sort of, well, this would be curious or that would be curious. Okay. Okay, so now that we've kind of gotten into that overview and many things that we'll talk about probably in much more detail as we continue to move along. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is 
when I came to you with the idea for this podcast and we talked about how what it would be like and what we wanted to do, I wanted to know what are your hopes about making this podcast? What is sort of the goal here and what do you hope people listening will get out of it? <laughs> okay. Several things, I think. One is when you have a chronic disease, like I do, uh, not very many people do, or chronic illness. Um, not a lot of people do. And it's this weird thing when you meet somebody. Um, there are other things in this category. You know, I have an abusive parent. I have chronic illness. Um, I was in jail for 10 years. Uh, there's something that like some things that, you know, maybe you live, it's your everyday, or it has been your everyday, or it's part of your important self. You, you've dealt with it or not, or are in the process of dealing with it, but you're at least used to it. And when you meet somebody and it comes up, or sometimes it doesn't come up, it's a lot that either you're not including in whatever this relationship you are developing with this person is, or uh, you do bring it up, and all of a sudden it's this huge thing. Like, oh my goodness, are you okay? And the fact is, you know, I'm okay. I've been okay almost always this whole time, but, you know, there's a couple times I was a little dicier, but finding that out about someone like me is obviously sort of traumatic because you go, oh my goodness, that sounds like it's so much because it is so much, but it's so, I'm so used to it. And so all that is to say, not that I want this to serve as a sort of business card. Listen, there's this big thing that I want to tell you about, but it's a lot. So I put it into a <laughs> 20 to 30 episode podcast that you can just find out all about me. I mean, maybe that too, I suppose, but that like, you know, you and I talk about it sometimes, or you've experienced a lot of it at this point now with me. Um, my family members and I talk about it sometimes, or we've experienced different parts of it for my whole life, basically. So just the chance to kind of try to talk about it, all of it, or as much of it as I can remember when we're doing what we're doing, just to kind of document that, I think is that's a really nice opportunity. It might help me in some ways focus my thoughts for when I do have that interaction with somebody that I'm trying not to freak them out, but <laughs> also, you know, trying to try to say, here's this thing about me. You know, I have a fair amount of practice with it, but still. So that's one thing the sort of documentation and or winnowing kind of of the information that about me. Another thing is that like I've never been much of a sort of support group person, but sometimes I have. And because it's rare, I have hopes that maybe other people who are dealing with Alport syndrome itself, chronic disease, other genetic disorders, other whatever. I think we have similar experiences. Every once in a while, I meet somebody who has something else going on. You know, I work with, or I used to work with, a person uh, who was a cancer survivor. We have some similarities. Not not that many, but more than I do with just the average person I, I, I run into on the street. Or other, like I said, other chronic disease sufferers that, that it can be nice to hear about somebody else's experience and go, oh, I thought that was just me. As silly as that sounds, and sometimes, you know, sometimes I feel like we kind of, or I avoid the support group thing because I, I don't know, I worry that it's, it's all like, uh, yeah, duh, we all know that. But at the same time, we don't always, duh, know all that. 
So I hope that that's good um, and useful. And then also kind of in between those two things, there's the friends and family thing where like many of my friends know most of this and my family knows most of this, but it's not all the same stuff. And it's, so it's an opportunity to just put it down and have people get to hear all of it, whether they want to or not, if they're listening, I guess. It's, it's nice to do a thing with you <laughs> about this. Because I was thinking the other day that I have really struggled for a long time in different ways against making my life about my disease. Yes, of and, course. And I, I think I've done a pretty good job of making my life about a lot of other things. But I can't help but have my life be, at least in part, always about my disease. And so this is sort of a nice way of acknowledging it without, I don't know, turning that corner and just being Alport guy. Well, yeah, and that's one of the things when I first brought up, what if we did this podcast to you was that I had a lot of other reasons for thinking about it that way. But one of the reasons too was, you know, we are married and we have been through all this stuff and all the stories you're going to tell, or maybe 99.7 of the stories you're going <laughs> to tell, I've heard them and I've heard them multiple times. And so we talk about, we, we, it's not like we avoid the topic of your disease and we certainly, I'm there at doctor's appointments and it's part of our life whenever it is a relevant part of our lives. But there's also we don't talk about it in certain ways. Yeah. And it would be nice sometimes to have that conversation. And I know that it's sort of a weird kind of public way to do that. And there are certain things that I feel like are still private. But it's good to talk about it, to hear all the stories and to be getting it all out instead of just it being the kind of quiet background lived experience we have all the time. I, I would say that's not probably one of the most important reasons that I'd like to do this, but it is one of the things on my mind. I think that one of the other things that I like, you talked about sort of not being a support group person, but then sometimes wanting to hear about other people's experiences. And I think, you know, that's true for me. And I don't have your disease. I experience it as a as a bystander. It impacts my life quite a bit sometimes. Yeah. And I think sometimes, oh, I want to read other people's stories. I want to see other people's experiences. And there's not a lot out there. This is a very niche thing. Yeah. And so it's kind of yeah. like, I found a thing so niche, I wanted to make a podcast about it so that dozens of people could listen. Right. Uh, but I think that if we could be that for somebody else, if there's somebody else who wants those kinds of stories, here's what these people lived through. It's similar to some of the things I've lived through. Uh -huh. That could be a comfort. And I also, you know, you are the recipient of a donor kidney. You've had three transplants, but one from an anonymous deceased donor. Yes. And... Every year on the anniversary, we do try to celebrate that. And we also kind of go on social media, Facebook, tell people they should be organ donors, too, as a way to kind of honor the gift that you were given and honor the person who gave it to you. Yeah. And I think you're a really cool person, obviously. And <laughs> if you can kind of be the face of someone who was saved by organ donation, you know, people do die on organ donation lists. And if people can listen to this and think that you are the kind of cool person that they could help and that we are the kind of family that gets helped by organ donation, I if, if somebody decides to be an organ donor because of you or in part because of you, I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, that would be great. And I really, when I put together show notes for this, I will include links to the, um, to the steps that you can take if you want to become an organ donor. It's really quite easy. You just get it on your driver's license and you tell your family. But I will include, <laughs> I will include right. links for people if they're listening to the podcast. I will also... I think the Alport Syndrome Foundation has a pretty cool short little YouTube video about 
um, how Alports works and how it works within families. And so I will try to link to that too. So people cool. can kind of get maybe information that isn't just from us and kind of, well, I think it's like this and rambling that, you know, professionals put together. Sure. So I think that's sort of the goals that we both have yeah. in doing this. Yeah. And then I, to wrap up, I am going to ask you the last question. And I think <laughs> I'd like to make this sort of a traditional thing. You know, some of the stories that we're going to tell are dramatic. And necessarily, if we're telling the story, we're going to emphasize, I think, the peaks a lot. Yeah. But this is also a disease that you live with every day. It's been in your life since you were born. And it's been in my life since I started dating and then married you. So the last question I want to ask every time is, how's your health right now at this moment while we're recording it? What's what's going on? How are you feeling? <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for asking. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I like this segment because I, I think that's a really good point that you make that uh, as I've said to a number of friends, coworkers, colleagues, people that like, I'm pretty much okay until I'm not. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the way that chronic disease works, I think, for almost everybody. Because uh, we've learned how to manage it and deal with it and everything. And I don't need to explain the premise of your question anymore. So I, in thinking about this and this podcast over the last few days, one of the things I was realizing is that as I get older, and I'm not old, I turned 39 in April and, you know, sometimes you go, oh, I'm going to turn 40, I'm old. But not that, but like as I've gotten older, um, you know, when I was in my teens and my 20s and I had I had a disease, I had a very serious disease and I was on dialysis sometimes and sometimes I wasn't, it was maybe less noticeable or I had more energy sometimes to deal with it and sometimes not. Maybe I'm just remembering through rosy, I was going to say rosy colored glasses because... Apparently idioms are not with me today, but maybe I, maybe I am just remembering it better than it was. But what I was trying to say is that as I've gotten older, sometimes it's harder for me to tell how much of this thing that I'm feeling is my disease and its associated, you know, comorbidities and how much of it is just, well, I'm in my late thirties now. (laughs) So, uh, the real update is this. School just ended. Um, New York City schools get out at the very end of June. Our last day was June 28th or something. That was three or four days ago as of this recording. And for two, three, four weeks, end of school, I had some level of cold. It seemed like it was all the same one, but I was kind of stuffed up, uh, a little bit run down, had a cough at times. That was getting better towards the the last few days of school. Now I've been out for three or four days and I've gotten a lot more sleep. I think maybe I coughed once today. Uh, I'm still a little bit stuffed up. I am feeling kind of tired, but that probably has more to do with the fact that school is out. So I completely and immediately messed up my sleep schedule. <laughs> uh, you became nocturnal right away. I became nocturnal as much as I could right away. Woohoo, no more students. Exactly. I'm going to play Fallout. <laughs> so in sum, I'm doing fine. Feel a little tired, a little bit stuffed up, but I'm kind of on the mend if mend was a thing that I needed to be. And it, so, like, really, really, the shortest version is doing pretty good. Okay, good. And uh, I think we're going to wrap up our first episode now, but I'm going to tell you that you can email us at kidneycast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter at kidneycast, and you can send us questions that way. Right. And um, I'm putting together a Facebook page, so facebook.com slash kidneycast. And if you want to contact us via any of those routes, if you have questions for Ari or topics you want us to discuss or feedback about how I am producing and audio editing the podcast, (laughs) any and all comments and questions, welcome. 
And thank you so much for listening. Thank you.